Greetings, brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to another episode of the Innocence Redeemed Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Bergman, and the topic of today's show is called Differing Viewpoints versus the Word. Now, a few weeks back, I reached out, and when I did, I inquired among my listeners if there were any topics you would like to see addressed. And I received a few responses back, so today I'm going to address those in relation to what the Word says. I received an email from a dear sister in regards to married couples being at odds with one another. And this is in regards to the vaccine mandates, and I felt that this would be a great topic to address since the issue is commonplace right now. And then in addition, tie in a topic that was separately suggested with regards to unresolved differences, such as bitterness, grief, pride, and sorrow, as differing viewpoints can lead to unresolved differences, such as bitterness and unforgiveness. Now, this podcast may be a bit lengthy, but hang with me here as I have a lot of ground to cover today, and I will be presenting the pertinent scripture as it applies on top of how I can personally relate. And also, due to the length, there may be times that my voice sounds different, and that's because when I cover a lot of material, I do tend to take breaks in between certain parts, but I'll do my best to make it flow and sound continuous for you guys. So that said, I'm going to read the email I received. And I asked if this was okay for the purpose of this podcast, to which uh, my dear sister in Christ told me, yes, it was. And for the record, so as to protect her identity, I will be redacting certain parts, and I will refer to her as Sister M. Dear Ray, first of all, I love all your podcasts and teachings. You tend to give practical examples and don't shy away from hard and sticky subjects. I am wondering if you may speak about the division in marriages and family units with children due to the one parent taking the vaccine, but not the other. How do you raise kids, and what do you do in this type of environment? My husband took this poison back in April, and to this day he believes it's the best thing since the sliced bread. However, he was supposed to have surgery yesterday, and they canceled it at the last second while he was already lying on the bed due to a strange rash on his body. He now needs to see a dermatologist before they can perform this procedure. When I mentioned to him that it might be related to the V, he got annoyed and told me it's nonsense. Anyway, I'm glad I can talk to my 13- and 14-year-old boys about the danger of this jab, but how do I respect my husband when he tells them incorrect information and tries to drag them to Walgreens for a nasal swab so that they can travel? So far, my kids are stubborn and refuse all his attempts. Any advice would help. I appreciate all you do, Ray, and let's stand strong in the Lord. May he bless you for all you do for his kingdom. Sister M. So, naturally, when I was asked about this topic, I thought to myself, you know, wow, that's a tough situation. And I began to look at some verses at first, but I felt it necessary to get a little more information before concluding on anything one way or another, so I actually replied back. Hi, Sister M. I have been looking over some verses in regards to what you told me in your email. I was just wondering, and I don't mean to pry in any way, but is your husband a believer? And have you tried to tell him with love and concern why you believe this is wrong and state as a matter of concern that being able to travel is not about love, but about convenience? Anything that can be tied to the word makes the approach easier because then you can back it up with scripture and all that you say. And I waited around for a few days and Sister M got back to me. Hi, Ray. Let me explain my situation from the beginning. We were both born in the Czech Republic, but met in 1991 after I moved to America. We were both escapees from communism. I grew up in a big Catholic family, but rejected those church-going rituals and pagan worship in my early 20s. 
I was raised as a people pleaser. Just be helpful, respectful, not to think about myself, but others, as in life not being about you, etc. Looking back at my early years of marriage, I suppose I was quite unhappy about many things. I lost all my family and friends, my lifestyle, places I knew, etc., due to this overseas move. But at that time, I had no idea how to bring up all these issues to be discussed in a healthy way. And so I just put on my brave face and, quote-unquote, kept calm and carried on. Y'all might have seen that meme before. That's a big one on the internet. Then let's add to this mix all everyday issues. New work, new house, new experiences. Later on three kids, and the unhappiness must surface somewhere sooner or later. Unfortunately, God was not in our marriage because my husband didn't believe in him. And I knew of Jesus, and I knew of our Heavenly Father at that time in terms of some distant deity who was busy or possibly out there watching all of my shortcomings and ready to throw me into hell. In other words, I was running and hiding from him the best I could while trying to live my moral life full of good deeds and holding my inner image of being a nice girl, better than most. Now I tend to sacrifice all my resources for other people, but I have my limits. When I perceive others are ungrateful or taking advantage of me, then I may get quite frustrated and angry. I would raise my voice in hopes that who speaks the loudest wins the argument. Unfortunately, I inherited this strategy from my mother. Glory to our Lord that he has healed me from these unhealthy outbursts. Now my husband is the exact opposite. Selfish, arrogant, prideful, self-reliable, and quiet. He has a tendency not to talk about anything that is not pleasant for him and sweep any problems under the rug. On the surface, he looks like a great and poised gentleman, but underneath there is all this fear, anger, bitterness, so much unforgiveness, desire to control, etc., etc., and so on and so on. We have lived all these years in this vicious cycle, pretending all is well. I was pleasing him all the time and literally sweeping the path in front of him by telling people in my family and our business what to do or not to do in order to not upset him my whole life while he chased after his personal happiness and fulfillment. I am very good at walking on eggshells. I suppose the last straw came when he announced that no married people over 40 have sex, and that was that. He admitted that pornography is just fine for him, never bothering to ask my viewpoint. Anyway, five years ago or so, I have finally found some inner courage to share with him my thoughts about our marriage and pleaded with him to go to counseling. First he refused, but later agreed to go. Now, you need to understand that at these difficult times, I found myself at the very bottom of my life, pleading with God to take my life because I am too chicken to do it myself. But I started searching for God, and he has rescued me from the pit, and I am climbing up with his help every single day while he's teaching me and revealing all kinds of things about myself. Glory to our Lord. I have stopped wishing for my husband's transformation, but started to work on myself. Oh my goodness, my image of a nice girl flew right out the window. I have started going to a local Presbyterian church for some encouragement and Bible study, but later decided to drop them and do my own online studies due to the fact that it was a 501c3 and there was no teaching about the Holy Spirit. Praying in tongues was frowned upon. They were also of the view that God is not speaking to anyone these days, and there was no mention about end times and no warning about these death jabs. My husband didn't want to be left behind, so he started going to a different church and he claims that he's a Christian these days. I have no idea how that came about, because he didn't share any personal testimony with me. All I know is that he goes to church on Sunday and never talks about his faith or the scriptures. He says a little prayer before our lunch, 
on Saturdays and Sundays. We did try to go to a local secular counselor, but she kicked us out claiming there is no help for us. Then we went to an intensive counseling Christian program for a few days, but looking back it hasn't had that much impact either. Then I suggested that he might want to try a personal Christian coach to work on specific issues, but that never worked out either. It took me a while to look at our marriage issues from a distance, and I have come to the conclusion that I live with a neglectful narcissist. And folks, just to interject here for a moment, Sister M sent me a YouTube video of a psychologist describing narcissistic traits. Um, For those of you who may have heard that word before but aren't sure what it means, a narcissist is someone who has a self-centered personality. They will usually put emphasis on their own vanity and have a compulsive or excessive preoccupation with their own needs, often at the expense of others. I mean, if they see that you have something, they are not beyond whining and dining and taking you to bed and seducing you to get what they want or using underhanded methods. And once they get what they want, they move on to the next person. Essentially, they use people to get something or give themselves the illusion of success because they feel they have an image to live up to. And it would appear that it comes naturally to them, and they may not even realize they do it. But even that's debatable. I mean, it's a sickness overall, and they're very on par with the traits of a sociopath, of which I have personally dealt with a few times in my life. Once personally, and then I dealt with it uh, in a work environment. And I learned of the two personality traits back in 2007. That's how I discovered they're pretty similar. But in essence, they are manipulators and users. And they'll hurt people emotionally to get what they can out of the relationship. You know, friendship, marriage, business partner, it doesn't matter. It carries over into every area. I digress, but going back to the email. Here's the bottom line. We are all individual persons responsible for our thoughts, behaviors, etc., striving to be Christ-like and holy with the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yes, I agree. I believe God doesn't want any one of us to be people-pleasing or manipulative of others to fix our marriage. I was willing to humble myself under the mighty hand of God to confess my sins and to repent, you know, change my thoughts, attitudes, words, and actions, and chase after Jesus with my all. I have apologized to my husband on multiple occasions, but he's not ready to do the same. That's why our marriage is stuck. You can bring the donkey to the water, but you can't make it drink. We live like roommates. I try to show him my love in everyday little things. I believe he has so much spiritual dirt, quote-unquote, in his heart, but he's not ready to tackle it. It's much easier to rationalize, justify, minimize, blame shift, etc. I have just mentioned very respectfully the other day how deceived he is about the vaccines, and he told me that I have my truth and he has his truth and he quickly left the room. I am sad to say that he believes I am his arch enemy and pretty much doesn't listen to anything I say. He told me on many occasions not to send him articles or podcasts, that he's not interested. He only reads the Wall Street Journal and used to watch Fox News in the past. He dismisses my kids as well. He treats them as complete fools when they try to stand up for themselves by refusing to wear masks, get tested, or jabbed. There is no open debate with him. He's always right, and if you dare to oppose him, then you become his enemy, and he will label you as a fool and keep his distance. He tends to store all the information inside, and then throw it back up in your face 5, 10, or 25 years from now, and he'll remind you why he's not speaking with you. It's quite sad, 
but he carries this burden from his family of origin. His father exhibited the same symptoms. So I keep praying for him and trying my best to live in peace with him. I tend to store food and water, which upsets him as well. He told our family that we have at least 1,000 years before Jesus comes and considers us crazy. Yesterday, he left the country to go to our second home in Europe. So now you know how difficult it is to answer your question if my husband is a believer or not. Sorry for this long email. Sending you much encouragement and prayers. Please know, Ray, that both you and Glinda are both wonderful teachers, and I benefit from your work tremendously. God bless you, Ray. Sister M. Ladies and gentlemen, I can't even begin to tell you how Sister M's email touched my heart. You know, I have to tell you guys... That is a lot of emotional abuse when you factor how she is trying to build her relationship with the Lord while maintaining her marriage and raising kids on top of everything else that's going on right now. She's feeling taken for granted, and I can understand that, because that has been done to me and a few friends I have more than one time. You know, nobody likes to be used and then dismissed. There seems to be no element of love there. Then there is the irony that you know, they both came to America to escape the communism of the Soviet era, and now America is sliding into the very same ideology, while her husband appears to be willfully submitting to the captivity again. And she's trying to do everything she can to, you know, warn him in the biblical sense. You know, I can make a point on what communistic rule does to people who are under it for so long. You know, thinking back to when I was a kid... And I think I was about 10 years old because it was right before the Soviet Union collapsed. It was around like 1990. I was, I made friends with a Russian boy at school who others wanted nothing to do with, possibly because of his accent. And his parents had fled to the United States to escape the iron fist of communism. And I recall going to his house once to play Nintendo and his parents were very guarded, almost as if they had been conditioned that they were not allowed to communicate with Americans. Which I mean, you know, as a kid, you don't understand that. But looking back on it now, I can kind of see why. They had been repressed for so long, and that's just the way they were. I mean, they weren't mean per se. It was just a strange experience, like they were very guarded. And after that, even though we got along at school, I was not allowed to go over there again. And he was not allowed to come over to my house for whatever reason. And I think they either ended up moving or going back to Russia once the Soviet Union collapsed. I, I mean, I can't be sure. But the whole thing is, being repressed like that can truly do damage to people psychologically. And I mention that because sometimes people can end up submitting to something as it gradually happens, because in the back of their mind, they have been conditioned that it's somewhat familiar. And while they should recognize it, sometimes they don't. I mean, that's the same reason people get dragged into sin, because something starts as, it sounds reasonable and good, and it seems like it's no harm, but then you start doing it before you know it, it's overtaken you. Now, I'm not saying that's the case here. I'm just saying that it's well known that scars can run deep, and they do have an effect on a person's behavior, especially if they were raised a certain way. And you heard that Sister M's husband had a father who was similar in the way that he was, and she notices that. So not to get off topic, but... I can't even imagine just how that would make me feel if I were married and witnessing that while trying to do my utmost best to walk in the Lord's ways. I mean, they have a business and have children together, so, you know, those, those both factors there, that's no easy task in the immediate of things. 
it's heartbreaking and an honesty it brought tears to my eyes when I was reading her email. Because so much of how people treat others is unnecessary. And having dealt with it myself in the past, I can understand where Sister M is coming from. Not to mention, it's unmerciful, which I recently spoke of in a previous podcast. Now, I did respond to Sister M, and I'm going to paraphrase what I said because these issues are some of what I'm going to be speaking of in my teachings today, with regards that many might be going through something similar. You know, from what I gather on the surface, I will only say that, personally, if someone were reckless with my heart repetitively like that, and continuously disregarded my feelings and my sexual needs, knowing the way that I am, I have to confess to you all that... (laughs) I mean, I probably would have separated from that person a long time ago. Not necessarily a divorce, but a separation as needed to give them time to reconsider how they treated me. You know, that's on them if they come around again. You know, there's a saying that absence makes the heart grow fonder. You know, sometimes that's true, and sometimes not. But it doesn't mean that I can't forgive them or possibly reconcile depending on the situation, but I don't believe in throwing pearls to swine. And though patient, you reach a point where you are, you want peace, and you do get tired of living a lie. Which, I mean, lying, that's a sin. Now, due to the fact that there are children involved here, I think about that most above all else. And here's my response back to Sister M. Um, And again, this is going to be paraphrased to a degree, because I'm going to be, you know, talking, this is actually speaking to you all as well. So you can understand what the word says and what it says about disagreements and sticky situations and what God says about marriage. Hi, Sister M. What you have suffered through is an element of caring. And on that note, when you said, I believe God doesn't want any one of us to be people-pleasing or manipulating others to fix our marriage, I will just say that you are who you are because it comes from the heart. It's genuine. A caring and loving heart shows mercy, and you have done just that, for better or for worse. On the other hand, we have Galatians 1 verse 10, which says, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be a servant of Christ. Then there is also Galatians 4 verse 16, Am I therefore your enemy, because I tell you the truth? When I woke up to what was going on, starting in 2009 around that time, I tried my hardest to give discernment to many around me, of which many times I was called crazy or a conspiracy theorist. Years later, especially when COVID hit, I tried even harder and sent podcasts out. And I sent messages out, and many were silent. They stopped responding to me. I had to let go. I had to give my concerns to the Lord, because I realized the problem was bigger than me, though I tried the best I knew how. What those people didn't know was... I had tried so hard because I love them and I didn't want them to suffer. I still don't. This is part of why I do what I do now. Because I believe in my calling. I forgive them for not replying, but you know, the Lord is going to have people choose. The ball is in their court and they must choose. And yes, it's true. You can lead the horse to water, but you can't force it to drink if it's a stubborn mule. Sometimes it doesn't matter what you do, but the Lord sees when we are merciful to others. And whether that comes down to giving someone a place to stay, feeding them, etc., the point is, I too strived to be a people pleaser for many, many years. The friends I had at one time, I loved them so much I would let them stay with me and help them, even though I at many times felt like I lost out. 
I put their happiness before mine because I valued them so much. And do you know what I found out? It is a matter of what is in their heart also, not just ours. We do unto others what we would want done unto us. Matthew 7.12 Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. And we do this in love and would like peace at all costs, as we should seek as Jesus taught us. Matthew 5, verses 9 through 11. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Then we have Ephesians 4 verse 3 when it comes to keeping peace. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. You know, to intervene here uh, before I continue on with the email, you know, separately, is a marriage not supposed to be a holy union grounded in peace and love? If the husband and wife can't be in harmony, or the other sees nothing wrong with continuous sinful actions, how is that in agreement with the word? How is dismissal binding yourselves together with peace? Also, Psalm 34, verse 14 is to be considered on that note. Psalm 34, verse 14, turn away from evil and do good, search for peace and work to maintain it. If we don't have an understanding of what the word says we should be working for, and we continue to walk around on eggshells, it could be hurtful to us, which then, if we aren't careful, that can lead to bitterness. Hebrews 12.15 Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. On the other hand, we have to remember that we are also not to cast our pearls to swine like I was saying earlier. Matthew 7 verse 6 Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls and then turn and attack you. You know, that is those who are ungrateful and unappreciative. We are also told not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? And going back to what I was saying about choosing, it was revealed to me some time ago while I was in prayer that the Lord would be causing many in wrong relationships to choose him and their salvation or that person and what's coming. Now, I'm not saying this is a definite for you, but I implore you to study these following verses carefully. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 11, But if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. That means if the wife leaves the husband, then she needs to remain single if she does not come back to him. And it's circumstantial, but based upon what I've already covered, that is where discernment kicks in. I cannot tell someone whether to leave their husband or wife. That's not my job to do. My job is simply to point out the word. If we move on to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 13, and if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer, and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage, and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. Moving on to 1 Corinthians 7 verse 15. But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, 
for God has called you to live in peace. And that is what I was talking about, folks, earlier when I was mentioning the verses from peace, because peace and love, they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Sister M, what I can recommend for now is that you keep finding every single possible way to shower him with the truth while applying love to it. Heck, sister, print articles and leave them casually laying around in places where you know he'll see them. You never know. Maybe one of these days he'll pick it up and read one of them. You know, Natural News is a great site for articles that are written, you know, about what's going on with everything having to do with COVID. You know, if he's willing to accept those, then ease him into a documentary after that. Another thing perhaps you can make him think about, ask him when it comes to injecting your children with something that is causing ailments. Is his reason for wanting your kids to take a vaccine about love, or is it for the sake of sheer convenience to travel? Because love is not always about convenience. Many are needing to make sacrifices right now. When he says, of course I love them, then you reply and say, then you would do your due diligence to research what is in this concoction of chemicals, you know, as well as aborted fetal cells. And if you are a Christian and you love me, you would listen and you should know better. Show him the parallels of Revelation 13, you know, and point out the news of the passports. You know, no man might buy or sell. No man might work. You know, that's all coming into play right now. I haven't verified it yet, but I saw something last night. I don't know how true it is, but in Australia, they're considering, you know, shutting people's bank accounts off if they won't get the vaccine. Do you guys remember back? I told you a, a, I, in another podcast where I was talking about that, how I went to the store and my card didn't work, even though I knew the money was in the account. It was almost like that was a vision to see. I could see that happening in the future. They'll uh, persecute those of us who don't want to take this thing. And going back to the email, I mean, this is training wheels for the mark. You already know you're not taking it. So this is a concerning factor. This is the point of the above, because we are all commanded to love God before anything or anyone else. And if something contradicts God's word, then it begs to be questioned and it begs to be answered. Further, present more questions to him, such as, what are you willing to do for the sake of normalcy? Is anything worth more than your soul? Jesus said in Mark 8, verses 36 through 37, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Um, you know, to put it more succinctly, all in one verse. Matthew 16, verse 26. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Now, if at some point he chooses to leave, then that's on him. If you follow the above, you are being obedient to God, and that is not on you, and you would be surprised how God can move to make things happen according to his will. The only exception I feel would be appropriate in the immediate is if you or one of your children are in imminent danger. I can't judge the man, but it sounds like, based on what you've told me, he is not very tolerant of differing viewpoints. That bit about no sex over 40 is ridiculous. I mean, going back to 1 Corinthians 7, this time verses 2 through 5, starting on verse 2. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Verse 5, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, 
you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You know, in other words, he should satisfy your needs. That is one of the things God created marriage for. A true believer is going to do God's will in marriage, not run to sin by looking at pornography. You know, that's just straight up the way it is. You know, he needs to stop his pride because that will cause him problems if he's not willing to listen to anyone else. Proverbs 16, verse 18 through 19. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. Better to live humbly with the poor than to share plunder with the proud. You know, I have never been married and don't have kids. And to me, it strikes me as insane when a couple is married and don't satisfy each other's needs. So many of us single men and women are lacking in that. So, you know, to me, it's perplexing, but that's my own opinion. And people I know who are divorced, you know, they agree on that. And in regards to sweeping things under the rug, I'm just going to say that I'll only get you so far. Push me, pull you relationships specifically with unbelievers never work. Keep praying on it, sister, and continue to ask the Lord for direction on what you should do. I believe an answer is coming. With regards to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, never stop praying. In his presence, Ray. Now, to expand further in all of this, what can all of these feelings bring about? Well, for starters, division. I mean, division, it can bring confusion, bitterness, frustration, sorrow, and sometimes unforgiveness, which can lead an otherwise good Christian, be it a man or a woman, into sin. You know, those of us who look to Jesus do not go looking for trouble. It's often those who are unbelievers or Christians who just don't understand or know any better. You know, I've had instances where someone in my family made something my problem that technically should not involve me, become my problem, and then accuse me of mocking the Lord or being unmerciful in my response, though I have given advice time and time again and tried to help that person many, many times. They don't realize I do get tired of it, and I can't be a crutch for everyone. Just because I minister the word does not mean I can help everyone with every single problem. I don't mind helping people, but they have to be willing to try. And that does not mean that I don't care or love that person. It comes down to that person's choice. You know, we're living in a time where the division is very great, and it's been ongoing for a while now. And those who do not want to do their homework and study the Word of God think it's okay to point fingers at those of us who do. And they call us unmerciful the moment we say something that they refuse to understand. I have a newsflash. And those of you listening, you know who you are. Those of you in my family who listen to this, you know who you are who do this. Those of us in the Word who are telling you these things are not doing it to offend you. You know... Folks, I told a family member of mine the other day that I was tired because I was. I mean, there is literally a wearing down taking place right now, and they were guilt-tripping me for not knowing about a communication by someone else in my family whom I had no part in it to begin with. I made the comment that I'm dying each day to this world, and I can't take on the responsibilities of others who do not take the time seriously and continue to play in the world. You know, they took offense to it, that I was mocking Jesus, and that Oh, you're not greater than Jesus because you haven't given your life. Really? Really? I'm a servant of Christ. I am not Christ. I am not everyone's savior. You know, and to put that into perspective, no, the slave is not greater than his master, and I don't pretend to be greater than my savior. 
And that's why everyone needs to be seeking their Savior in prayer. I seek, I, I speak to the Lord every day and pray to him. I may not do it formally every, every single time if I've got work to do, or if I'm going, if I've got a lot going on, but I make it a point to at least speak and think on him and reflect on what I say and what I do and, you know, whether or not it's Christ-like. I may not always be the best at it, and none of us are perfect, though. But, you know, consider when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, and they would not listen to him, and all they tried to do was mock him and try to put him to death or find a gotcha moment or aha moment. You know, he walked away. You know, he would go off to be alone to pray. And how is it any different for Christians who do the same? I am dying to this world because there is barely any joy within it anymore. And further, that is what a true Christian does when they are nailing their sins to the cross and following after Jesus. That person is attempting to become a new person without those who are still loving the things of the world attempting to drag them down. I mean, it's like the Lord is trying to lift me and others up while some keep pulling us down into a mud pit because they themselves don't even try. Getting drunk every night is not trying to repent and do good. It gets a little bit old. Just saying. Further, I covered this topic in a podcast back in May titled, The Wisdom of Letting Go. I gave some great insight in that podcast, so I highly recommend checking it out if you have yet to do so. You know, 1 John 1, 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Why would I love the things in the world right now, knowing where it's going? I just want to pose that question to those who want to accuse me of something I didn't do. Think about what the word says before pointing fingers. Further, let's look at Romans 8, verses 36 through 37. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So, I mean, if anyone of my family thinks that's bitterness on my behalf, you need to ask the Lord whether I'm being unfair where that's concerned, because I'm preaching his word, not my own. I mean, I know people who knew of my Halloween podcast, a few listened to it, and they still took part in the holiday, if you can even call it that. If you, they took part in a celebration of death, I mean, okay, they took part in it, and then they were more than likely mocking me because I did not approve of it. Playing loud music, want to argue, while I was trying to get work done. You know, these are the things causing divisions among true believers, and those who say they believe but still do whatever they want. You know, people like myself, uh, Brother Tom, Sister M, that I was, you know, reading you the email from earlier, and many others out there. We stand for what's good. We try to do and tell others what's righteous. And we're stifled, we're mocked, we're persecuted. That is what Romans 8.36 means when it says, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. That's where it's going, folks. That's the persecution of the true Christians. Because people who aren't going along with the world, they're not going along with agendas, they're going to be the ones getting delivered up. You know, you're going to believe what God's word says, or you won't. And if you have a problem with my response, well, then I can't help you. You may as well not follow my podcast. I'm sorry. Uh, some of you, you know, you compliment, but then curse me in your hearts. I, I don't know what more I can say to that. You know, in division, Mark 3, verses 23 through 26. 
So he called them to himself and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. You know, we are a nation divided because of sin like this. And then it's going on in families, and there's divisions with it, husbands and wives and friends and everything else, and then leading others into sin like this because some like to cause strife. True believers are told to stay away from those who like to cause strife or are still very much continuing to take part in the sins of evil. Romans chapter 16, verse 17 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 17 through 18. Therefore, come out from among them, and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So I'm clarifying this here so there is no confusion going further, because literally I don't have time for false accusations, hatograms, and endless text messages when I'm working for peace and trying to maintain it while running this ministry. And when I receive them, and it's constant, are you mad at me? Are you mad at me? Why this? Why that? I won't answer it. You know, that's not pride. That's reality. I do strive to keep peace, but I don't need people who want to continuously make problems. And I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about people who have genuine problems. I'm talking about people who they have been told before what they can straighten out in their lives, and they do nothing about it. They continue to, get, to just act irresponsibly and do whatever. I can only do so much for them. They have to take an initiative to try to do something. And I initially wasn't going to bring that up. But the reality is, it ties very much into the differing viewpoints versus the word. You know, I'm trying to maintain my garments and keep them spotless. I'm doing the best I can. I'm not perfect, but I don't need to constantly have things thrown at me that aren't true. And so, if there's confusion on any of that, please understand where I come from. So, that's for a specific person who's listening to this who needed to hear it. And from there, you know, I'm going to move on. Because all these things that I have mentioned so far, you know, they lead to sorrow. They lead people into just general frustration. And then they can't be sure if they're in unforgiveness or not. They forgive from their heart. Those of us, we forgive from our hearts. But then people want to create problems. You know, I mentioned earlier not to take part in this or that or the other. We're not welcome mats for people to keep walking all over us. Don't get the two confused. It's important that nobody be confused. You should do deeds of good. You should be merciful to people. You should forgive them. But that does not mean you keep propping yourself up to be knocked over. If somebody doesn't get it, sometimes you have to give them tough love and disconnect from them. And that's where I go with that. And I hope that sinks in. You know, read your Bible. I'm going to be doing teachings on Jesus specifically in the book of John coming up. Because I believe that's helpful to new believers, and they need to understand where things are going, especially now, because there are going to be people coming to Jesus because they see something's wrong in this world. And that's more the reason why I don't have time to get caught up in drama that is completely unnecessary. Just like the way I was saying earlier, you know, the way Sister M's been treated, you know, the way my brother Tom's been treated, you know, we don't have time for that, you know. Those of us, we're, we're, we're trying to live honorable lives. We're trying to do what's good. We've had enough of that stuff in our past. We don't need that. You know, people need to start 
realizing they have to do their own homework. They can't point the finger and hold and look at everybody else like, oh, Ray, hold me up. Hold me up. Oh, am I do- what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? It's like, well, stop drinking the booze for one. Stop making things my problem for one that you can affect change to and do on your own. You know, there's things that can be done out there. There's things people are capable of doing and they don't do it. They're capable of walking in the Lord's ways. They have to try. You have to try. The Lord will meet you where you are, but you have to try. And that's my point on that topic alone. We know what the word means. We know that there's snares. We know that there are troublemakers out there. We know that there's people who hear the word, but they receive it with joy, but then they don't put it into practice. You know, that's the parable of the farmer scattering the seed. And you can find that in Matthew 13, you know, verse 1 through 23. Further, 2 Timothy 3, verse 7, those who are always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. It doesn't mean that they're bad people. It just means that there's a limit to what you can show them and teach them, and then you have to pull back and take the hands-off approach. That's when you give it to the Lord. That's the purpose of handing our problems to the Lord, because certain things with certain individuals, they're too big for us. And he may give us a way to contend with that person, or he might say, yes, son, daughter, back off. You know, we don't want to keep setting ourselves up to be walked upon. And we need to hold strong to what the word tells us to do. You know, those are God's decrees. He's teaching us how to live a life worth victory in him. You know, better to sometimes cut ties than constantly deal with outrage and be led into unforgiveness. You know, I was asked about how to deal with outrage. Well, that's one way to do it. Sometimes you just have to back off. You have to give it to the Lord and let him do a spiritual circumcision on their heart. Continue just to make sure you do good and hopefully that, you know, that person sees what the honorable life you live and they'll be willing to change. But beyond that, I mean, that's the most you can do. You can't, you don't want to keep setting yourself up for abuse and allowing yourself to be hurt. And, you know, that's what I want to end this podcast on today, guys. Um, you know, between, you know, divisions and indifferences versus what the word says, you know, I pray that this podcast has been a blessing to you. And until next week, stay safe out there, guys. Jesus bless you. Have a great week.